Welcome to another episode of Out the Rabbit Hole here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. We're also on the web at KUCI.org. I'm Robert Larson. This is our February 2nd, 2012 edition of the show. 4.07 p.m. on the clock here in Irvine, California. Before we get fully underway, I have a couple of quick reminders for you. First of all, the opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of the KUCI staff or management or the UC Board of Regents. And if you want to give me some feedback on the show, I always appreciate that. You can email me at rglarson at org. You can also catch me on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash rglarson. We are pleased to have back with us today one of our most popular guests, Russ Baker. Russ uh, caused quite a stir a few years back with the startling revelations in his book, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. This is a uh, serious work of meticulously documented investigative journalism that will not allow you to look at power in America the same way again. Mr. Baker has won many uh, journalistic awards and has written for The New Yorker, Vanity Fair, The New York Times, The Nation, The Los Angeles Times, The Washington Post, the Village Voice, and Esquire. And you can find his continuing endeavors in forensic journalism at the website whowhatwhy.com. Russ Baker, welcome back. Thanks, Robert. Great to be here. Uh, it's always good to have you. I uh, always need to get an update from you uh, every uh, few months or so. Well, I, I read uh, Who, What, Why as often as I can, but uh, share it with our listeners here every few months. But, um, yeah, yeah, in a, in a piece uh, recently, uh, this was uh, one of your most recent pieces on uh, Who, What, Why, uh, uh, called uh, Wag the Seal. You outlined some uh, questions that, that need to be asked about these uh, heroic Navy SEAL missions of recent months. What, what is it that we're not really being look, uh, not being looked into by mainstream media, some questions that really need to be asked about this? Uh, well, I'm afraid that the mainstream media increasingly doesn't really look at anything with any depth of skepticism uh, or uh, inquiry. And in this particular case, uh, what we're looking at is an event that clearly benefited uh President Obama, uh, this was announced right at the time of his uh, State of the Union address that the Navy SEALs had gone into Somalia and had rescued a young American, um, and then they flashed these pictures, and we see an attractive uh, uh, you know, a young blonde woman who was doing charity work there, and, you know, of course, your first reaction is, boy, that's great, you know, that really, and, and it is great, I mean, it's great that somebody who uh, was doing a charity work, uh, honorable work, uh, and was, was, res- was kidnapped, was rescued. So that's your first reaction. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel good about Obama. And if, you, if you're if you a person who's not sure that he has proper resolve, this makes you think, well, he certainly does. Right around the time of the State of the Union address in a, pre- in a presidential election year, uh, it, it all kind of comes together nicely. The problem is when you start thinking about this and you start asking yourself, What's the story on this raid? What's the story on the Navy SEALs? What is their job? Uh, what is our policy about sending the U.S. military into foreign countries to rescue a single civilian who was in that place uh, of their own free will? And once you start asking those questions, you start seeing some real problems with this, and you start realizing the extent to which uh, our tax dollars, uh, uh, our time, our military resources, and so forth are being used for agendas quite different uh, than those that the media is presenting us with. Yeah, and I will, um, 
you know, I, I know some people will uh, say there there's not a lot of difference between Obama and Bush. I, I don't necessarily agree with that, but I do um, agree that there there is something that you firmly uh, <laughs> planted in my head with uh, Family of Secrets that there is this this establishment, this uh, military industrial intelligence banking establishment of which the the Bush family is like this perfect front for. And if you start examining what they are all about, you you see the picture, what's going on behind the scenes. But that's always there. Even though the Bush family isn't currently in power, that's always there. And even though Obama is now in power and he has an agenda in many ways that is different, there are certain things that really, no matter whether he wants to or not, he, he can't do a whole hell of a lot. Is that correct? Uh, I think that is correct. I mean, presidents are civilians who uh, come in and are briefly on the national stage. If you could uh, try to imagine what it's like, the, the pressure of dealing with, uh, uh, you know, the generals, the, the, the uh, joint chiefs of staff, dealing with people who've been in the CIA and the NSA for their entire adult lives, practically, uh, dealing with uh, heavyweight figures from the financial and corporate community who have had every president's ear, who have armies of lobbyists. It's a very, very intimidating thing for a guy like Obama to come in and suddenly have to deal with. Also, he's not expert. He's not even, he's barely knowledgeable in the vast majority of these situations. So he's sitting there with all of these uh, groups crowding into, you know, his office telling him what he needs to do, and and that is not the way that we think of presidents. We we see the the uh, the theatrical presentation. We see a strong president uh, uh, making his speech before Congress and telling us what he intends to do, which really has almost nothing to do with the reality. And so, when you look at something like the Navy SEALs raid in Somalia, or for that matter, the uh, Navy SEALs raid, uh, which purportedly bagged Osama bin Laden, and and by the way, we've written extensively about both of those on our website, whowhatwhy.com. I hope people will visit the site. Uh, but in any case, if you, if you look at those things, uh, you realize that there are, as you said, Robert, quite a few interests involved. So let's, it, let's for example, take a look at, at Somalia. That's the Horn of Africa. That's where uh, much of the shipping of the oil in the world goes through there. And so the ongoing problem of unsafe waters is is, is real. Uh, and, and when you can send the SEALs in on land there in Somalia to just for taking out supposedly the captives of one private individual, uh, you justify the, the necessity of repeated intervention militarily in that very, very crucial area. So that is something you don't see being discussed in the coverage at all. Then there there's also just a simple fact that uh, uh, the justification of military action, period, at a time where uh, the, the Pentagon is under severe pressure, as the entire government is, to drastically cut spending, they've got to be able, in the public's mind, to convince them of their worthiness. They've failed miserably. Uh, uh, I think overall we will see in the long run in Iraq, uh, which was, is already proving no more stable than it was before, uh, Afghanistan uh, continuing to be a problem, and elsewhere. And so people would say, well, what are we getting for our tax dollars with the military? Well, when you take a, a nice little shiny raid like this, in and out quickly, uh, and all the heroics, uh, uh, nine pirates dead, no SEALs dead. Uh, all of this uh, very uh, sort of shiny uh, a retail campaigning, you might call it, it goes a tremendous way towards securing that budget. And that budget benefits not just the military, but the American economy, because uh, the biggest American companies, typically their biggest client of all, 
is the U.S. military. Yeah, and so even though there may not have been a specific meeting uh, talking, well, I'm sure there were spe- very specific meetings talking about how these missions are, are to take place, but even though there may not have been a specific meeting talking about how this benefits all of us, I think everybody understands that the military and that if we pull this off and it looks really good, we're uh, going to be more likely to get funding that we want. Obama is thinking if this looks really good, I'm going to, uh, it's going to make me look better as far as my reelection campaign. Many people vote for president based on, do I think this guy is strong on foreign policy? This guy's standing up to terrorists. So it, it's kind of, even though it may, that part of it may have been unstated, everybody involved probably understands that. I think that's very well said, that really what you're looking at in most situations, that nothing needs to be said. I, I, I love the, the line that, that many of my friends in the uh, corporate-owned media like to say is, nobody has ever told me to uh, discontinue my work on a story. And, and they don't have to. You know, um, uh, if you go to your boss enough times with a story and they keep delaying it and they say, uh, yeah, it feels like it needs more work, uh, <laughs> you, you, you get a message of some kind that they don't want to run it. And you can pretty quickly figure out why. Yeah, yeah. This is Out the Rabbit Hole, KUCI and Irvine. Robert Larson here speaking with Russ Baker. And Russ is the author of a, a book that um, I have... Uh, I don't know, I can't say enough about how um, much this uh, will uh, inform you and get you thinking. And that's Family of Secrets, the Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. And also you can find his continuing work at the website whowhatwhy.com. We we talked about uh, President Bush and President Obama, and uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, a guy who's hoping to be the next president, and that's Mitt Romney. Uh, You had a pretty interesting piece uh, talking about how he just released his tax records for, I think it was just two years. And, and what you were saying is, well, what really needs to be asked about this? And could you go into that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, first of all, Mitt Romney uh, uh, left the world of Bain and Bain Capital in the late 90s. Uh, and obviously, when he left, or even before he left, he was already thinking about a political career. In fact, he, his first run for office was in 94 against Ted Kennedy. So he's been thinking about getting on the stage for a long time. Obviously, uh, when you are considering a political candidacy, the first thing you do is you get together a group of advisors. And the first thing they do is they say, you know, let's look at the assets and liabilities, just as, as they do inside Bain Capital. And, of course, liabilities would be anything about him that could come out that could damage him. Um, this is the way that people, you know, weigh investments before they make them. And so they're all trying to figure out, you know, is this guy going to, is he going to, is he going to sail or is he going to uh, hit an obstacle right away? And so uh, they, they, one of the things they talk about is what in your past, in your work, in your finances could be problematical. So this would have been on his mind for a very, very long time. What we really want to know is what did he do when he was working at Bain? And unfortunately, I'm not sure that any of his tax returns would show that, but certainly the ones from the last two years, which are, which are uh, uh, you know, what, 12, 13 years after he had anything to do with active involvement with Bain, are going to show very, very little. Now, having said that, uh, there are, however, other things in there that are quite revealing. Uh, one of the many things we outline in, in this article you reference on our website, whowhatwhy.com, 
the article is called 10 Questions on Romney's Taxes. Uh, one of the things that struck me as interesting in there was that uh, his, uh, his wife filed a separate return on which she listed payments to, uh, to domestic employees. Presumably these are uh, maids or gardeners or something like that. And it was interesting that, that he wouldn't put that on his return, that, that he had her file that separately. That, that struck me as some kind of a potential flag. In other words, they don't want to not report it, but he wants to have some kind of deniability. I would love to see people dig a little bit more into that. I was also intrigued by the fact that uh, that was on his uh, 2010 return, but not on the 2011 one. Question again, how could people who are that wealthy, uh, who have, what is it, three homes, uh, presumably they don't live in a, in, a, in a tiny cottage, have no domestic help? Uh, and my other question would be uh, the total that they paid these four employees for, the, for a year was $20,000. Now, I, I suspect most people listening to this program, uh, you probably have, you know, maybe may may have somebody who comes in now and then to do some cleaning or this and that. You can figure out pretty quickly twenty thousand dollars divided by four. That's five grand a year. Uh, it doesn't get you very far. Yeah, you wonder are these people even getting minimum wage? It, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's a little bit. Um, I, yeah, this may be problematic for uh, Romney in the uh, general election as people start questioning this more. And I think a, a bigger issue uh, is also that it brings it very much into stark relief uh, of how little the very wealthy often pay in taxes. And he uh, his effective rate it was what fourteen, fifteen percent. Uh, yeah, it was actually even under the under the fifteen percent, uh, which is what you pay on capital gains. That in itself is very very interesting. That uh, I actually, as I mentioned in the article, I mean I think that his domestic servants who may have been earning close to minimum wage were paying <laughs> presumably a, a potentially a higher tax rate than he was, uh, and he was just sitting back and letting the money roll in uh, while he was out pursuing his passion politics. So that's very interesting. But there are many many other things. He had money uh, in a Swiss bank account. He sort of poo-poos that. But, you know, there are reasons that people put money in Swiss bank accounts, and he really needs to tell us uh, what his reason was. And then, even more interestingly, Robert, uh, which Swiss bank account it was, it was it was the Swiss bank UBS. Mm-hmm. And as you may know, on our website, whowhatwhy.com, uh, and in my book, Family of Secrets, I, I, I spent a fair amount of time looking at UBS. UBS is one of these very important uh, globe-girdling institutions that we don't hear much about. It's not well covered, but it is tremendously influential uh, in the U.S. government in administration after administration. Uh, uh, other articles you can read on who, what, why are how the, uh, Obama has a smaller and smaller circle of remaining friends he spends time with. One of them is Robert Wolf, uh, the chairman of UBS Americas. Uh, uh, the, the vice chairman of UBS uh, is Phil Graham, who was responsible for the deregulation of the financial system in the first place. Uh, and even more interestingly is that UBS is the bank that was caught encouraging wealthy Americans to uh, cheat the U.S. Treasury out of taxes by giving them fake self, uh, giving them cell phones, uh, 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 fake accounts, shredders, uh, really encouraging them to participate in grossly criminal uh, conduct 
to uh, which ends up screwing all the rest of us because of course we end up having to uh, pick up the slack. So there are a lot of interesting uh, questions about why Newt, uh, why I have to call him Newt Romney, uh, <laughs> I call him Mitt Romney now, um, why he had his money in a Swiss bank account and why in particular UBS and what UBS's influence continuously in the White House administration after administration means for the rest of us. Yeah, so you look, you, as you just outlined there, UBS ties with Bush, ties with Obama. He's real chummy with this uh, this fellow there, UBS, uh, um, and now Romney's got this money there. So it's just like no matter who is in the White House. They, Hillary gonna... Clinton also friendly with the UBS people, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, you go into a little bit uh, of detail there of o- Obama's relationship um, with this fellow from UBS. And uh, w- that was an interesting article because uh, you, you talk about uh, – the seeming tendency with Obama to to want to please everybody, and so even though he may put forward rhetoric about helping the ninety nine percent it becomes very difficult when to buy into that when he 's so chummy with these types of guys what you say the top one tenth of one percent and and you say uh that and i 've heard other people comment on this as well that that presidents like f d r and j f k felt more emboldened to uh take on these elites than, than somebody like Obama. Why, why is that? Uh, that's because they were from very wealthy backgrounds themselves, and uh, when when these are your peers, when these are people that you know you you, uh, you maybe slept in the same room with in prep school and uh, played sports with them and so on, you know them well enough. And I, I don't think you're as in awe of them or as intimidated of them when you're like an Obama or a uh, Lyndon Johnson or anybody like that comes from a more modest background. Uh, you've got to uh, you've got to. You've got to curry favor with these people because you need their money and you need their connections and you need their approval. And this is really why the system is so rotten. And this is why, uh, uh, I mean, I think what Family of Secrets really uh, uh, underlines is the extent to which uh, what we call democracy in America has been hollowed out by this kind of behavior. And continuing with whowhatwhy.com, we have stories every week showing more examples of this, the extent to which uh, the, the, the range of choices that we have available among leaders, I mean, the, do people not find it interesting that it's being forced down to a point where we can choose between uh, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, both of whom will fill their administration with bankers? I mean, Obama's chief of staff, all of them have come out of high finance uh, uh, hedge funds and J.P. Morgan, and uh, uh, there's another guy they just brought in. I mean, Obama just brought in a guy from Bain, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, in many senses, even though there certainly are differences between Democrats and Republicans, on these big issues of who really calls the shots, who really shapes the economy, and who really influences us, and why it is that with so much money in this country, uh, many of us end up uh, losing our houses and our pensions and feeling no kind of economic stability at all, even though we play by the rules, even though we are told if you do that, uh, the system will take care of you. And, and I think, uh, you know, again, the answer has to do uh, with this hollowing out. And with the fact that this is a phenomenon uh, of both parties, not just of one. Yeah, this is Out the Rabbit Hole. Robert Larson here speaking with Russ Baker. And um, he is the author of Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and The Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. And you can find his work also at whowhatwhy.com. And, um, yeah, to this hollowing out, I think it, it's... 
one of the ways this happens is the way that the um, media has uh, evolved or devolved, I should say. And I really liked your your uh, open letter to uh, New York Times staffers. It it really laid out the the argument for why there's a problem with corporate establishment media and how that's at odds with a thriving democracy. What, what prompted you to write that letter? Well, first of all, I, I saw this open letter that was circulating. The uh, st- staff of the New York Times, hundreds of them, signed this open letter to their publisher, basically saying, and you can you can read the text of it in that article found, I think, on the, still on the homepage of whowhatwhy.com. Uh, but basically, uh, they say uh, to their publisher, look, um, you know, we've been loyal to you. We've given our lives for you. Uh, but you are doing all of these, taking all these measures that are, severely impacting your staff, uh, 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 cutting pensions, cutting benefits, all sorts of things, including um, to to uh, uh, people in their foreign bureaus who literally risk their lives, and so they say, you know, how can you do this to us? And to us, and of course, to some people, it sounded sort of pathetic, given that reporters, the New York Times, have themselves been uh, parting in a way to not aggressively enough covering this pattern in all of American life. And so, you know, it's kind of like when it finally got to them, you know, that that famous saying, uh, uh, you know, there was nobody left, you know, they hadn't properly defended everybody else, and there was nobody left to defend them. Um, and and the I think the bigger point that we try to make in that article on who, what, why, um, is that um, the problem is the corporate media. They are essentially on a kind of a plantation. Um, they're, they're working for a rich person. They're working for private people. Uh, that rich person, when he didn't have enough money, he went to the wealthiest man in the world, Car- Carlos Slim Helu, a, uh, a Mexican billionaire uh, who himself made his fortune when the uh, Mexican economy collapsed and he bought things for pennies on the dollar or centavos on the peso, if you will. Uh, you know, and, and so these are the people who run and shape the news coverage that we get and that help us determine what we think we know. And so if you're out there listening to this program and you, you listen to uh, CNN, you watch CNN, you read the New York Times, the LA Times, whatever it is, you don't sit there every day and think, how is this stuff being filtered and what's going on in the minds of the people who are editing these pieces, the people who are reporting them? Are they just telling us the unvarnished truth? And I can tell you this. If you go and you have a drink with these people, the stories they will tell you are much, much more interesting than what's in their article. And it gives you a very, very different impression of what they really think is going on. That, I believe, is the problem with the mainstream corporate media. That's why I started whowhatwhy.com. We're nonprofit. Uh, most of the people who work for us are volunteers, a lot of our editors, some of our writers, people who work on the website. We're looking for more people to come in who have skills, whether they're lawyers or accountants or PR people, whatever they are, to help us build this thing. Uh, and we are nonprofit. We derive our income only from people in the public who click and make uh, tax-deductible donations because we, we figure we'd much rather be accountable uh, to people who give us 50 bucks uh, than we would to a giant corporation. And we think the result is a much more vigorous, much more open-minded, and much more responsible uh, kind of truth-telling to benefit the public. And that's whowhatwhy.com if you're interested in uh, helping out with that. So, And, yeah, just to go there and read some stuff that will really uh, get you thinking, things you will not read in uh, 
the New York Times or other places, generally speaking. Um, okay, so um, in uh, in Family Secrets, you painstakingly uh, lay out some facts that connect dots about the JFK assassination. Uh, the, the mainstream news media seem to go out of their way to ignore this disturbing picture, uh, no matter how many facts you put forward in that regard. So in a couple of recent posts at Who, What, Why, you discussed some... Um, uh, recent examples of this uh, behavior by the media. Can you talk a bit about that? Uh, sure. Uh, basically, uh, there is a kind of, you talk about conspiracy theory, there there seems to be a kind of a theory uh, that, that causes uh, a conspiracy of silence on the part of the media. Uh, when you consider that the House Select Committee on Assassinations, after extensive research, concluded that there was a probable conspiracy, meaning that there was more than one person involved uh, in the plot to kill President Kennedy. Uh, when you consider that there are hundreds and hundreds of books, many of them fairly well done, uh, with lots of documented information and evidence in them, the vast majority of them pointing to some kind of an organized effort. Essentially, we're talking about a coup of some sort, with possible different moving pieces, whether the, the mob played any kind of a role, whether there were there were... It was compartmentalization. But um, essentially, this is absolutely verboten in the media, and, and, and I mean all of the media. You won't read anything about all of the new information that comes out constantly. By the way, even now, we're almost on the 50th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination. New information comes out every day uh, through dogged individuals who are, who are getting into archives, through people who are conducting first-time interviews with people who were eyewitnesses. It's coming out every day, and almost none of it ever appears in the media. And I mean the entire media. It's not in the New York Times. It's not on Fox News. It's not in the Nation magazine. It's not in the left. It's not in the right. It's not uh, on your favorite uh, uh, nighttime, edgy, uh, you know, so-called liberal show where you think they talk about everything. None of these places will touch it, period. It's almost 100%. Uh, and the reason for that is because um, there has been such an effective effort at making uh, this subject uh, poison and making it something that if you talk about it, you are immediately dismissed. People use these terms like conspiracy theorist, uh, tinfoil hat. They're pejorative terms about a very serious subject. And so if you're able to kind of label anybody who talks about that as, as a kook, uh, well, then nobody wants to be labeled as a kook. And so when you've got a show to do and you're already going after other targets, you say, look, oh, we don't need any more trouble. We're not going to deliberately go out there and touch that electrified third rail. And so, so these stories are not being reported. Now, the, for example, the New York Times on the 48th anniversary, November 22, um, the only thing they did at all about the Kennedy assassination, no actual reporting, they put up on their website a little short video by the documentarian Errol Morris, an admittedly entertaining video. Uh, if you go to our website, whowhatwhy.com, just go in there. We have a search box at the top. Just type in um, uh, OJFK uh, or Umbrella Man, and you will see this video. And that thing went all over the world, and people loved it because it was entertaining. And it was basically about this weird thing uh, where on November 22, right at this moment when Kennedy's car was passed, 
crossing the grassy knoll, and right as the bullets were raining into the uh, into the uh, convertible, uh, a man stood on a sunny day pumping an umbrella madly in the air. And so there's this whole debate about uh, what the umbrella man meant, and was he just a kook, or was he somebody who was signaling and somehow involved with the assassination? And what was interesting about the Times was they ran this video interview with this man who sounds very sensible and has a quite pleasant manner, and he basically explains to us that, believe it or not, there's nothing going on here. The man who was doing it just had this bizarre explanation that turned out to be true. And and so what I did on whowhatwhy.com was I drilled down a little bit. I called the man in the film. I asked him about his sourcing. I looked a little further at it and, and almost immediately could see that this was not correct, that, in fact, the explanations they gave of this man the benign explanations of why he was pumping the umbrella just simply don't check out. So it's it's typical of the times, A, not to do any real reporting at all on all the new developments in the Kennedy assassination research, and B, to put out something like this, which is supposed to be funny, which is kind of entertaining, and on the surface seems to mean something, but when you just drill down a little bit, means absolutely nothing at all. And, and so you, um, you've taken a little bit of heat for presenting this stuff and all you're doing is is to my uh, understanding is just investigative journalism and presenting these facts and and people have kind of uh, you've gotten shunned in some corners for presenting some of this information is that not true we have, but on the other hand, we've got some great folks like Bill Moyers, uh, Dan Rather, Gore Vidal, who, who have uh, praised our stuff and who recognize that what we're doing actually is pure journalism. We are nonpartisan. So we write about Obama and we write about uh, Romney. We write about Gingrich and we write about Ron Paul. You know, we're not for any of those people. That's not our job. And, you know, we're not for this person killed Kennedy or that person killed Kennedy. We're for finding out who killed Kennedy and, more importantly, why. And even more importantly, what was the long-term effect of the removal of a president of the United States on the subsequent history? In other words, what is, what, how did that affect the state of democracy today? And I have a lot of thoughts on that. I think that it had a very profound effect. I think that John F. Kennedy, retrospectively, as I, as I, as I dig in, uh, was, was, was doing more um, aggressive, taking more aggressive actions against more entrenched power centers in America uh, than perhaps any other president uh, of the 20th century, if not in the entire history of this country. And that is another thing that's been obscured. Some people may be chuckling, listening to this, saying, oh, yeah, right, because there's been so much of an effort to portray him as a hawk, as a cold warrior, and so forth. And and it, it was much more complex than that. He, he, he was trying to uh, satisfy aggressive generals who literally were, 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 were trying to convince him that this was the moment to strike against the Soviet Union. Uh, uh, General uh, Lemnitzer, the chief of the, uh, the uh, Joint Chiefs of Staff, literally uh, it, uh, recommended to Kennedy that he launch a, that they launch a nuclear attack on the Soviet Union, uh, and they were pre- prepared to incur massive millions of casualties in the United States so that they could, in one stroke, supposedly uh, 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 strike a deadly blow to the Soviet Union. So this is the kind of people that John F. Kennedy had to contend with. So he couldn't just uh, overtly appear to be 
rejecting everything they said. He had to. He, he was in, in a field of landmines, and he needed to tread very, very carefully. But as we learn more and more, and as I document, my book, Family of Secrets, as you know, is not just about the Bush family. There are four, I think there are five chapters uh, on the Kennedy assassination with all new information. Uh, actually, I got into that uh, because I discovered that George H.W. Bush uh, had been uh, involved with intelligence activities himself many, many years before he was CIA director. This is something that hadn't come out before. Uh, and that he himself had claimed not to remember where he was when Kennedy was shot. And I was intrigued because uh, he was a Texan himself. Uh, and that set me on years of research, resulting in these four chapters on the Kennedy assassination in Family of Secrets. And I think that, that this has caused me to realize that what we were looking at there was, in fact, the same kind of coup that the U.S. military and intelligence agencies have conducted over the years in other countries. The same thing happened uh, here at home. And that's a very, very sobering thought, a very disturbing, almost traumatizing thought. <laughs> Many people will say, baloney, it couldn't happen here. But I need them to explain to me exactly why that is. All right, Russ. Hey, I hate to cut you off here, but we're really out of time. I, I think I mentioned to you we have to uh, close out a little early today because of a sports broadcast. But I really thank you for uh, spending time with us. Again, it's always great. And uh, Family of Secrets, The Bush Dynasty, America's Invisible Government, and the Hidden History of the Last 50 Years. That's Russ's book. You can also find his work at whowhatwhy.com. Anything else you want to leave us with really quickly, Russ? No, I would just say this. I mean, sometimes you get discouraged when you hear these sorts of shocking revelations, but I think ultimately it's a catharsis, and when we educate ourselves on how things really work, we're going to be much, much better armed to move forward and to create positive solutions uh, and have a better world in which to live. Thank you very much, Russ Baker. Thank you. All right. Okay, that wraps up Out the Rabbit Hole, and uh, we're going to turn it over to uh, Heather McCoy for the uh, sports broadcast today. And Robert Larson, Out the Rabbit Hole, I'll be talking to you next week here on KUCI and Irvine. Mm-hmm.